It is a short verse, but probably <laughs> the biggest verse in the Bible. And that is that uh, it tells us that we need to keep the commandments of God and love God. Now, I'm going to read another text in Matthew chapter 21 just, just to sort of uh, shed some light on this subject. And uh, it's, it's about a young man, two young men basically, who were living at home with their father under his domain. And it says, and I'm reading from the King James at verse 28, it says, What do you think? A certain man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he repented and went. He came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. He didn't go. Whether those two did the will of his father. And they said unto him, Well, the first one. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you that publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and you, when you had seen it, repented not afterwards, that you might believe him. Now, these two boys depicted something that's common to all of us. First of all, he told the first boy, he said, go work. And the young man said, I'm not going to do it. And he said to the next one, he said, go. And he said, yeah, I'm going. But he didn't. And the first one came back and did. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk about the basis of why the, the first one did what he did. It doesn't say, does it? Someone may say, well, the first son got to thinking it over, and he was afraid of his father, so he went and did it. But maybe not. Maybe the first boy looked at it and thought about it, and he said, maybe I should because I love my daddy. So this is the kind of thing that I want to explore with you this morning. There are two facets in this text that we read in Matthew chapter 22, and it's repeated basically in Deuteronomy 6.15 when the Old Testament law was given. Love God and keep His commandments. To love God. So there's the commandment. Love God. You have to love God. And then you have to do what He asks you to do. So the two facets are this. The first of all, you have to have a feeling, an emotion toward God. And the second is, from this emotion, you need to do something. He's asked you to do something. Before we can get too far along in this, we, we uh, probably want to establish a premise for our, our uh, attitude toward God. And that, the establishing that premise is, is this, that... Uh, because we believe in God, and maybe some of us don't believe in God, but because we believe in God, we must accept or should accept the fact that He is the Creator. Why should I do what He tells me to do? Why, why should I keep His commandments? He's asked me to do certain things. Why should I do it? What right does He have to tell me to do these things? The first, of all, first reason is because He's the Creator. He created me. He made me. And there are a couple of texts. There's not a whole lot of texts in the Bible that specifically identifies the fact that God created man. 
Well, Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his image. So he created me the way he wanted me to be. And when he created me, he said, now, Bill, I want you to do certain things. I have the right to tell you that because I created you. Another one is found in the chapter 45 of Psalms, or not Psalms, but of Isaiah, and at verse 12. And these are specific statements that talk about the fact that God created man. Now, if we, if we look in, in, in Isaiah chapter 44, the chapter before this, it talks about the fact that God is not a idol, that God is the creator and he's not the created one. And it talks about, uh, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 12, it says, The smith, or the smithy, with tongs, he works in the coals and he fashions it. He's talking about making an idol and he works it with the strength of his hands. He's, he says he's hungry and his strength fails and he drinks no water and is faint. And the carpenter stretches out his rule, he marks it with a line, he fits it with planes, and he marks it with the compass. So it, it begins to describe how a man can create an idol. Now, engrossed in, in, in this, and in, in, encompassed in this is, that man can create an idol, but man can't create God. So, basically... When we recognize that God is our creator, then we in turn have to recognize that we cannot create him. He created us. We didn't create him. Now, I'm not going to go into the scientific argumentation about the existence of God, but just the things that are understood by all humanity, things things we understand. We did not create God. But... We, uh, we want a God who will describe to us how he did it. Isn't that correct? I want to know, if, if God created me, my question to him is, how did you do it? How did you do it? And if you don't tell me how you did it, I'm not going to believe that you did it. That's what science is looking for. The, the way that God created. So... If I believe that God created me, then I, I don't have to have the reason for it. That, that's called faith, of course. But we want a God who will describe how he did it. And so, we want to look at the process. I want to see how he did it. If he's my creator, show me, Lord, how you did it. And if you can't show me how you did it, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a problem with that. Humanity feels that way. If God created the heavens and the earth, then demonstrate to me how he did it. If you can't demonstrate to me how you did it, then I'm not going to believe in you. And basically, if I don't believe in you, I'm not going to have any confidence in you, and I'm not going to do what you said. You see? Isn't that where we are, however? We, we want a God who convinces me. We want a God who removes all of my doubts. We want a God who lets me see the process. The one, the two, the three, the kazam, there it is. We want to see it. And so science digs around and says, well, we, we think the earth is this old. We think th- these fossils tell us this. We think this, 
the, the, the age, the earth is this and so forth. And so we began to look at it and say, well, now, Lord, we have to know how you did it because we want to be able to replicate it. We want to do what you did. Well, we can't do that, of course. I want, to look, I want you to look at Job chapter 38 just real quick. And, and again, I'm not trying to, to uh, make the scientific arguments for the existence of God. I think I could, but I'm not going to do that here. But the point is, when we're asking God, God says, I am the creator. And we, as the creation, look at him and we must accept the fact, in order to establish a relationship with God, we must accept the fact that he created us. We are not the creator. We are the created. Now, in Job chapter 38, this question has been around for a long time. Job had three friends. Job got boiled. Has anybody here ever had a boil? You know, they're not very, they're not very uh, prominent anymore, are they? They're not, they're not widespread. I had them when I was a kid. If you get a boil, I'll tell you how to fix it. Drink iron water. You ever heard of iron water? Our parents, when we got boils, our parents used to put nails in a glass of water. Leave it overnight, then you drank that water. And it helped the boils. It really did. Well, anyway. Job apparently didn't have that remedy available. <laughs> so, anyway, he was full of boils. And he was miserable. And, and uh, his wife was trying to get him to, to curse God and die. And Job was resisting that, and he said, I haven't done anything to irritate God. And, but he continued that way, and his wife was, was, uh, was adamant about it. And finally, he was sitting there, and three of his friends, his close friends, came up, as friends will do, and criticized him. They came up, and, and they began to tell him that he had sinned. And if he would just uh, repent of his sins, that, that God would forgive him, that he brought all this on himself. Well, the upshot of it was that Job had not done anything for that reason. He had not sinned, and so God was not punishing him. But uh, finally, Job began to, to philosophize about what was going on, and he began to put forth his arguments, and his arguments were pretty well as flawed as the arguments of the other fellows. Finally, God stopped him and said, Look, I'm the Creator. I know what I'm doing. So, and what he said in chapter 38 of Job was, he said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Now, God is not going to do this again just to demonstrate to me that he did it the first time. And he's not going to show me how. There's a lot of mysteries in this universe. He said, declare if you, if you understand, who laid the measures thereof, if you know, who stretched the line upon it? Where are the foundations of the earth fastened on? Who laid the cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Well, I'm talking to a group of people that actually believe, you believe, that God is a creator, don't you? And I do too. And so I don't, I don't expect God to demonstrate to me how he did it. I look at it and I'm amazed and I say, man, I don't know how he did it. Six days? Yes. If he could do it in a thousand years, he could do it in six days. 
I don't have any doubt about that. He's God. He's not me. I didn't do it. He did it. And I don't have to know how he did it, but just to believe that he did it. He did it. Okay. So we believe that. We believe that, that, uh, that God created heaven and earth. We believe that we are created in the image of God. However, we have a problem along this line. The commandment says, love God and keep his commandments. So the first thing is, we try to establish a, a position with God and say, okay, we are the created, you're the creator. The next thing that comes up is, he says, keep my commandments. Humanity has reversed that. Humanity has said, okay, God, if we believe you are, we want you to love us and keep our commandments. Did you know that? That that's where we have come to? That's the situation we are in, in society. We demand that God love us and keep our commandments. Now, let me explain that just a minute. Our first commandment is to make sure, Lord... If I'm going to believe in you, and if you're going to be my creator, but make sure, if you're God, I want you to make sure that I am comfortable. Because if I get uncomfortable, I don't believe that you love me. Isn't that correct? Love me and keep my commandments. So, I want to make sure that everything goes along swimmingly with me. I'm going to say, I'm going to make, Statements like this, and I'm saying I'm I'm speaking on the behalf of all humanity. I'm going to say, well, how can a God who loves me let me suffer? How can He let any of my friends get sick? How can He let people be hungry? If He loves us, how can He do that? So my re- request for God is, if you love me, make me a. a Paradise on earth. Take away my sorrow. Take away my hunger. Take away my sickness. Take away death. Take away all the things that would make life uncomfortable for me. And when I look out and I see people suffering somewhere and hungry, I'm going to say, how can a God of love let that go on? You see what I'm saying? Okay, now God, if you love us, make us comfortable. That's the point, isn't it? That's, that's really the, the argument. And we forget the fact that there's somebody else loose on this earth. His name is Beelzebub. And Peter said, be careful, watch out, because your adversary the devil stalks about, seeing whom he may devour. And we, we, we forget that we started out in a paradise, didn't we? We had everything right. There was no sickness, there was no sorrow, there was no death, there was no hunger, there was no shortage of anything. There were no diseases like the one that's spreading around now. None of these things are going on in the Garden of Eden, and yet our parents got kicked out. And we've been out ever since. So now then we're thinking, well, if God loves us, why doesn't He put us back in there? What we're asking for, basically, if we believe in God, is we want a paradise on earth. That's what we want. I don't want my wife to get sick. I don't want her to die. If she dies, she's going to disappoint me. And if you get sick, my friend, and I don't see anymore, you're going to make me sad. And I'm going to say, why did God, God, why did you take my friend away? You see what I'm saying? We want, we demand, what we're asking is not that we love God and keep His commandments. We're asking Him, love me and keep my commandments. 
My commandments, my requirements are, and I want you to know I have a better, I know better about how to arrange things and do things than you do, God. And so I'm going to make some requirements. And those requirements are that I don't want to get hungry. I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get disappointed. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my house. I, I want to be comfortable. So love me and keep my commandments. And then I'm going to make other commandments. And you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to, I'm going to, br- I'm going to bring the bar down. I'm not going to raise the bar in morals and ethics. I'm going to bring the bar down. I'm going to say, well, you call these things sin, but really these, there's no such thing as sin. No such thing as sin. It's just that, uh, that some people do things other people shouldn't want to do or are doing. So I try to lower, lower the bar. And that's what we're doing in this country, really. We're lowering the moral and ethical bar. Lying is, is prevalent, and we just accept that as a, as a uh, condition of life and, and uh, what, what our environment is. We're like spoiled children. Give us our way, and we will maybe, we will maybe accept you. But we, we don't want the requirements that high. So we say, okay, fornication is not really fornication. Adultery is not really adultery. Homosexuality is really not homosexuality, even though the Bible says that the bed is undefiled, but adulterers and, and uh, fornicators, God will judge. Fornication involves pornography, fellas and ladies. <laughs> it does. That's fornication. You get yourself involved in the computer, or the computer is the avenue anymore of, of uh, pornography. Get yourself involved in that, you know you're committing fornication. You need to understand that. And when you're not honest, you're lying. And, and when, you, when you steal from others, uh, that's, it's, it's not just a, a way of doing business. It's wrong. So our code of conduct has come down because we said, Okay, Lord, love us and keep our commandments. So you have to adhere, adhere to our standards. Now, I've, I, I left this part Till now, because this term "love the Lord and keep His commandments" is one of the most complex words in the English language. Did you know that? The word "love" is. I, I know. I know love is a feeling. Don't you? Have you ever felt love? Be honest. Have you ever felt love? You love somebody. God says, I want you to love me. So what he's saying is, I want you to have a feeling for me. He's not, he's not saying, I want you to get a, be afraid of me or angry about me and so forth. He's saying, I want you to love me. So if you, if you begin to look around, and if you, if you check on what some of the authorities, so-called, in this field of psychology think, you'll find that they don't know what love is. That's surprising, isn't it? Surprising. There's a fellow, as a matter of fact, the Bible, I, I know you know what love is, and I know what love is, and, and generally we all know what love is, but, but it's the broadest, broadest subject in the Bible, and God says we need love, and that's the basis of a relationship we have with God. It's called love. Now, love is an emotion, isn't it? You know what an emotion is? It's a feeling. Love is a feeling. Now, that word emotion... <laughs> Hasn't been around for a long time. But the word emotion means 
to stir up. So what he's saying in Matthew 22, the text that we read is, love me and keep my commandments. Why do I keep your commandments? Because I've been stirred up by love to keep your commandments. That's what stirred me up. That's what hit my feelings and said, I want to keep your commandments. Basically, that's what it is. But there was a fellow by the name of Paul Ekman, who is a uh, professor at the University of Sacramento, who has been studying emotions for 40 years. And a great number of the psychologists and professors and college administrators and so forth, people that are involved in this subject, have looked at it and they've, they've taken Paul Ekman's concept of emotions and they've based their concept on emotions too. And they said, well, okay. And what we're saying now is, well, I'm saying that love is a feeling. Have you ever fell in love with anybody? Have you ever felt love for someone? They're saying, these fellows are saying, love is not a feeling. It's not one of the feelings. Not one of the emotions. So Paul Eichmann said, there's six emotions. Love's not one of them. Anger, sadness, uh, disgust, surprise, depression, so forth. He, has, he listed six. And so for a long time, everybody says, okay, these are the only six emotions, six feelings that you have. And then he had some students that studied under him, and they came along and they said, you know, Paul, Professor Paul, said, uh, there, I think there's six more. So he, he gave in and he said, okay, there's 12. But again, love is not one of them. Love is not there. And then others have taken up this concept of trying to find out how many, how many emotions there are. Later, someone came up and said, well, there's 29 of them. And so they developed a wheel of emotions. So they've got all the different emotions listed. Guess what's missing? Love. And yet the Bible says that we love God. And as we understand it, love means that we have a deep feeling for God. That's what it means. And then someone, someone else came along and said, no, he reduced it. He said, there's not 12, there's not 29, there's only five. Well, however many people, many emotions people say, they all agreed on this, basically, almost all agreed, that love is not one of them. So, when you say, to love God and keep His commandments, the modern psychologists say, well, we don't even know what that means. We don't know what it means to love God. Do you know what it means to love God? I do. Well, love God and keep the, and keep the commandments. First of all, that's the foundation of our relationship with God, that we love Him. And uh, Jesus said in First. In John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So if we love God, we love Him in a special way. And if we want, want to define this, uh, the, the, way, the best way we define it is the emotion you have toward a parent. Now, of all, all the, I've mentioned the fact that, that the great amount of, great number of psychologists do not consider love to be an emotion, 
But when they do talk about love, they say the only way you can demonstrate that love exists, they said there are two ways, but the main way, the, the one that endures, is the love that is established between parents and a child. So let's go with that. How do you feel about your parents? And that's, we remember the boy we started out with, the two boys? He said, oh, say, he said, son, go work in my field. And the boy said, no, I'm not going. He had a change of heart and change of mind, didn't he? And I'm going to suggest to you that I believe he realized that his father loved him. I think that's what he did. I believe that's what went on. Now, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, aside from the fact that Jesus told us to pray when he said to pray, remember what he said to start your prayer with? Our Father, which art in heaven. Now, what God is establishing is the fact that if we're going to love him, it is the love of a child to a parent. That's why it's so important when we look at the text that talk about honor your father and the mother, because God is concerned about that familial relationship, how we treat our parents and how our parents treat us. Sometimes parents are not worthy of love, but I, I, I think we need to consider the fact that God is a parent that we are to love and that he is worthy of our love. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, at verse 12, he tells us to make a heart connection with him. He says, harden not your hearts. Keep your heart open. So he's actually ask, asking us to keep our feelings for him open. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, at verse 16, he tells us that we have, because we have, for instance, we have become children of his. Galatians 3, verse 26 and 27 says, We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As many of us as have been baptized in Christ have put on Christ. We are his family, and he is our father. And so in the book of Galatians, in chapter 4, verse 6, he tells us that we should, when we refer to our Father, we should call him Abba Father. Now that was the, that was the close relationship between a, a child and their parent when he says Abba. That, that's like saying uh, Father or Daddy or Papa. So he's, he's establishing that relationship. It's interesting that the psychologists, when they finally come to the point that they'll say, okay, maybe love is a feeling, they identify it as a parental feeling between a child and his parents. Okay, as a, as a parent then, God requires obedience. And he says, love me and keep my commandments. Now then, as a parent, he knows what's best for us. As a parent, I knew what was best for my children. Now, I know the kids didn't think that at, at times. But I know what's best for my parents. As a matter of fact, I tell my kids, don't smoke cigarettes. Don't get in the car with a stranger. Don't stand too close to the curb when you're going across the street. Why am I telling them these things? Don't just say no to drugs. Don't get involved with a crowd that will take you away from your morals and your ethics. Why am I telling those them those things. Don't do these things. For their good. Right? 
So when God says, Bill, don't do these things, then I understand he's doing it because he loves me. Now, why am I going to hear what he has to say? That's, I think that's, that's the real issue here. There is a, there are a list of things that uh, God wants us to do or not to do. And he says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, and we'll just look at a couple of these lists, and you, you probably know where they are and what they say, but, but, there, but there's, there's lists that say, here's what I want you to do, and here's what I don't want you to do, and basically they're commandments. These are the commandments. And they're for our own good, for our own protection, because God loves us. Now, that's not the issue. The issue is, why do I do them? Why do I listen to what he has to say? What is my motivation? My motivation, you say, well, because you're afraid you're going to get a whipping. Well, when I was a kid, I did. You know, as I was growing up, I was afraid of my mother. If you can imagine, she was under five feet tall. But when I was a little guy, man, I was afraid of her. And when she said, Billy, Billy Wells, she called, Billy Wells, you get in here now. Billy Wells got in there now. Because I was afraid of her. But you know what? I outgrew her. I outgrew that. I outgrew her and I outgrew my fear. Perfect love cast out fear, the Bible says. First. First John 4.18. I, I outgrew that. And now then, why did I do what this little five-foot-tall woman wanted me to do? Because I loved her. You see the difference? I didn't fear what she's going to do. Oh, yes, we fear what man can do unto us. But God says, don't fear what man can do unto you. They that can kill the body but can't destroy the soul, but rather fear him that can destroy both body and soul in hell. So it is okay that we fear God. We understand that. Solomon said it this way because Solomon hadn't reached the end of the conclusion. He was way back behind the cross, so he didn't know what was going to go on, but he he concluded in all of his concepts of what man ought to do or not do in in the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 12, he says, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And Solomon had tried everything. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. My friend, that's not the whole duty of man to fear God. The whole duty of man is to love God and keep His commandments. The reason Solomon didn't get that was because he had not met Jesus Christ. He was before the cross, not after the cross. So he didn't know that the whole duty of man is to love God. Get this feeling in your heart that you care for Him, that that you love Him, that you're not going to... Well, of course, we start out that way. I, you say, well, why did you obey the gospel? Because I was scared to death of hell. I'll tell you right now. That's how I started out. But I learned pretty quickly that God loved me, and everything He told me to do, He was telling me because He loved me. And so as my love grew for Him, and as your love grows for Him, then you begin to do His commandments because you love Him. And that's what He's saying, isn't it? Love God and keep His commandments. Those are the two facets that we're, that we're involved in. As a parent, we eventually, we eventually have our kids grow up and leave the nest. But how do we control them? When our kids grew up and got old enough where they could get out and do things, they got a car, and so they could go places, how could I keep, how could I keep track of them? Now, some of you people 
may be putting monitors on your kids and their telephones. I don't know. You're keeping track of them by their technology. We didn't have, I didn't have that technology. How did we make sure that our kids didn't, didn't go off the reservation? How do we do that? It's called love. Love. They knew we loved them and they loved us. Now, if we had any control at all after the kids got out of the home, out of the nest, had any control at all, it was through love. Hosea called this the uh, cords of a man and the bonds of love. The bands of love. So God controls us through love. So He can control us. He can, he can tell us what we should do or should not be doing because of the love that we have. I have something else I want to tell you. This, this business of, of emotions is an interesting concept, isn't it? Uh, the, the idea that there are only 6 or 12 emotions or 27 emotions or whatever it may be. And, and the reason I want to, want to say this is, uh, and, and we're going to end it with this, uh, because we, are, we live in a society where, where most everybody in this audience knows what an emoticon is. Do you know what an emoticon is? Everybody, anybody know? Nobody knows? You look, see the little smiley face? You, you know, ever seen one of those? That's an emoticon. And some, I'll tell you what happens. I'll, I'll be texting one of my girls. My boy doesn't do this much. Our, our son doesn't. But I'll text one of the girls, and they, they have jobs, and they're busy. And so I'll text them, and, and because they're busy, they don't have time to text me back. They'll send me an emoticon. Maybe they'll send me a little pic, a little thing on the computer, on the text that, that has a big smile on its face. That's an emoticon. She's happy. Or I'll see one that's got a hair on fire. I'm busy. You know, so, so you see these emoticons all the time. And, and that's basically what the psychologist said, that, that your emotions are seen in your face. And that's probably why they don't know how to describe love. Because love isn't seen in your face, basically. But your emotion is seen in your face. Now, we have an emoticon that tells us that God loves us. Did you know that? That emoticon, that smiley face, the face that you want to see... You can see a face that's sad. You can see a face that's surprised. You can see a face with hair on fire and so forth. But the emoticon we see of God is the face of Jesus Christ. So if I want to see the emotion God has for me, I look at my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what Philip said. He said, Lord, show us, show us the Father and it will make us happy. It will suffice us. Jesus said, have I been so long with you that you've not known me, Philip? So when we see the face of Jesus Christ, we see the feeling that God has of love for us. Now then, I want to obey him. How about you? You know, Philip was out in the desert preaching to a guy. He preached to him, Jesus Christ. And the first thing that the, the fellow said, he was a eunuch. First thing he said was, hey... What does here's water? Why can't I be baptized? 
What happened to him was that he saw the face of God in Jesus Christ and he felt the impact on his heart from God. That's what he felt. When you look into the face of Jesus Christ, that's what you feel his love. And basically, he said, okay, now I love you. Love me. Keep my commandments. So that's why we keep his commandments. Maybe you want to start today. Maybe you haven't been doing it. Whatever. We're going to make. We're going to give you an opportunity to make your way forward if you want and express that while we stand together and sing.